hello there. Or as the subject of this episode might say, Yalreet. Mark Godfrey here once again for another one of our sporadic bonus episodes of Vincera, the story of Italian 90. And the person in focus today was a central character in the rich tapestry of the 1990 World Cup, and who sadly passed away just two days after the end of our original 30th anniversary series. I am, of course, talking about Ireland manager and World Cup winner with England as a player, Jack Charlton. If you've been watching your social media closely, you're probably aware that the new documentary film, Finding Jack Charlton, will be available to buy from Monday 23rd of November, and I'll give you the details of how to get your hands on it at the end of the episode. It's a very poignant look back at his life and career through old footage, interviews with the people who worked with him and knew him best, and was partly filmed at his home and amongst Jack's family while he was still alive and living with the effects of dementia, something which has become an increasingly important topic in relation to ex-footballers, and which has affected many of Jack's peers, such as fellow England World Cup winner Nobby Stiles, who also passed away recently, and his own brother and England teammate Sir Bobby Charlton, who we understand has been diagnosed with the condition. It is that awkward sibling relationship between Jackie and Bobby that provides the recurring thread in the film, which is directed by Pete Thomas, an ITV journalist and filmmaker Gabriel Clark, who joined me to talk about finding Jack Charlton. Firstly, thanks for chatting to us, Gabriel, and congratulations on the film. It's really enjoyable. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm glad you got to see it. Um, I'd like to know how difficult it was for you to get access um, to be able to film with Jack and the Charlton family at their home because, of course, he was struggling with dementia up until he died in July this year uh, and had increasingly withdrawn from the public eye in recent times. Well, the original idea for the film was based around the island story. Um, I followed Jack's career and... Um, obviously been aware of his achievements, not only as a player, but then as a, as a manager with Ireland. And I think one day it just came into my head that Jack's story had never really been told from a, a broader perspective, really. But the football achievements, certainly in Ireland, had been documented in various programmes on television. There'd never been a film made about Jack. And I knew from my work at ITV just how vast and wonderful a lot of the archive was associated with Jack, the pundit, Jack the, um, Jack the player and then Jack the manager. And so I knew there was a sort of base of archive to work from, which is always important when you're, you're thinking about a documentary project. But um, uh, there was this issue as well, this broader issue of how the, the country of Ireland was transformed by an Englishman. So that was my broader idea. And I spoke to Andy Townsend, who I knew from ITV, and, and a week later, Andy had fixed it so that um, we were up in the Northeast meeting John Charlton, uh, Jack's son, who was also part of the Irish t uh, squad in 1990. And uh, we were having a chat with Jack in, in a pub up in the northeast. And at that point, we realized that Jack wouldn't be able to do an interview because he was living with dementia. As you say, it hadn't been uh, uh, particularly noticed publicly. But um, the nature of the story that we were going to tell was something that the family were happy with. Um, they knew that we'd obviously be able to uh, want to film with the family um, over the course of the next year or so, and they were happy with that. And uh, we just took guidance from them, really, about what they were happy with and what they weren't happy with. And as you see in the film, our scenes with Jack are him with his grandkids. They're him at home. They're with him fishing. They're with him down the pub, having a meal, living his life. He's still living his life. 
And that was very important for the family, I think, to show that in the film that as hard as it was and is for people who have people living with dementia, you can still continue to live a life. And so to answer your question, um, we took guidance from them, but once we were filming and the days that we were filming, we were able to do, um, uh, to do as much as possible. Obviously you were invited into their inner sanctum and it is great to see those, those scenes of, of the family, the, the warmth within the family and his wife, Pat, who, who seems a bit of a colossus amongst them uh, and son, John, of course, uh, and, and Jack's seemingly as happy and comfortable as he could be. But for you as an outsider coming into that, and of course, as you said, you, you've seen Jack, the pundit, the player, the manager over a, a many decades. Um, how difficult is it to be up and up close to somebody so famous and such a big personality suddenly be so frail and vulnerable? He is frail um, in, in the film. But I mean, I, I think his son John says that uh, the outline has barely changed. You know, okay, he's a little bit more frail, but... He's still tall, he's still got the hat on, the cap. You know, he still wears his, uh, uh, his outdoor jacket. And uh, yes, when he walks, these, these are clearly, these are clearly, he's clearly showing the signs of somebody who's not well. But um, it, it, well, it was, I, I found it inspirational to, to, to do the filming and to be around Jack at this time. As you say, his wife, Pat, is, is an incredible woman. And, um, to, to be to be around both of them and to see them um, living their lives, I, I found it something that was um, a privilege to film, you know. And so long as we, as I say, were taking guidance from them, um, and 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 yeah, keeping our distance with the camera at certain times and not filming at certain times, but also, I think he. You see in the film, on so many occasions, Jack engages with the camera. He did that um, as a manager and as a player. He, he loved the camera. And there are various moments in the film. And the first moment we made sure that we show people in the film is when he looks at the camera and says, I don't want to go down the garden you know, and uh, go out with the grandkids, which is typical Jack. You know, I'm, I'm stubborn. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. So I think... Um, uh, I know, I know these moments are incredibly poignant. And as somebody who's, who's not experienced any, any family member living with dementia, um, it was an education to me. But, but I also hope that when you watch these scenes, you'll be able to see a lot of the, the Jack Charlton that you remember from his famous days as a player and a manager too, coming through. The film reveals that Jack was a great note taker about all aspects concerned with football and, and life. And there's one in particular that I think sums up the contradictions of Jack Charlton, and that's uh, be a dictator, but a nice one. Um, was it a deliberate effort on your part to lay bare those contradictions through the likes of Paul McGrath, David O'Leary and Eamon Dunphy, because he was different things to different people. Uh, he could be cheery, humorous, kind, down to earth, a man of the people to, to some, um, but he could be a cantankerous bully to others. It, it was a deliberate intention, as it is with all documentaries that I make, to, to make it as balanced as possible. You're absolutely right. Um, Andy Townsend made it clear to us when we were talking through the, the profile, the sort of 
the, the, the picture of the man that we wanted to create, that this was not a man that everybody loved, and this was not a man that necessarily every person you went to requesting an interview would necessarily stand up and say, yes, yes, please, I'd love to talk about him. Um, and cer certainly in the film, it was important to us through the archive and through the interviews and through some of the, the stories that happened. I mean, obviously Jack had a, a difficult relationship with his brother. Uh, Jack had a difficult relationship with elements of the media. Um, it was vital, I think, and it's vital that you, you balance things out and that as much as you're putting across the incredible, unique achievements of somebody, that yes, in those notes, it was, it was very important as well that you can read them both ways, can't you? He's been critical of somebody. He's prepared to be critical of somebody like David O'Leary. He's done it on paper. And of course, he's done it in person. And um, no, balance, balance was important. And it also, of course, lays bare, I think, the strength of the man. So there's a strength to that stubbornness. There's also a weakness to that stubbornness. Um, Ireland had never qualified for a major tournament when he took the, uh, took the job of manager in 1986. And at that time, they had some fantastic players playing at most of the English, uh, the top English clubs. He wasn't just confident in his ability to change that, but he was also brave enough or foolhardy enough to think he could shoulder the burden of history, um, being an Englishman in charge of the Irish national football team and at the height of the Troubles during a time of great social dysfunction in Ireland. Um, as a filmmaker, that must be a dream set of background circumstances for you to put together a story that is kind of a, a struggle against the odds put in front of him. Well, it was one of the appeals of the story, as I said. I mean, the, the initial appeal of the story was this broader picture that it's not just a football story. And I think the best football documentaries, the best documentary breaks out of its confines, if you like, its, its subject confines into universal themes. Jack's life broke out or in relation to the, you know, the, um, uh, the difficulties with his brother. You know, there are, there are themes that you would relate to Shakespearean tragedy there. There are themes that relate, you would re relate to elements of, of um, other sort of storytelling in, in the Irish story. The, the Ireland story broke out beyond just football. An Englishman going to Ireland at that time to become, a, to become the manager was something that, you know, several of the top players just couldn't believe when it happened. And then, of course, for Jack to become this honorary Irishman within a decade is incredible. So, yes, I think you want those big pillars in place and you want to have that sort of broader context, which you're able to outline at the start of a film normally, which then by the end of the film just lays bare how, how incredible the individual's achievement was. So... Yeah, as a documentary maker, it's important that you search out those bigger themes and are able to um, almost prove their relevance and prove their significance by the end of the film. Mm. Well, famously, he did take the team to Euro 88, where they beat England. Uh, and there are a few recurring threads throughout the film, uh, one being a bitterness, perhaps, that he was never considered for the England job by the Football Association. Um, a little bit like one of his contemporaries, Brian Clough, uh, he was probably too big a personality for the Blazers at the Football Association. Um, and I think it's very evident, certainly in the film, that it became a huge motivation for him to, to go out there and stick it to them and prove them wrong. Absolutely. The relationship, Jack's relationship with England um, was complex. 
he was hugely proud of what he achieved as a World Cup winner. And then uh, I think it was in the mid 70s, 1977, he was asked to apply for the England manager's job. He'd had the success at Middlesbrough. He was an up and coming, talented manager with very firm opinions, as you say, very much like Brian Clough. And the FA didn't even send him back a letter. And from that moment on, he felt, um, he felt something. There was something at work in Jack uh, from that moment on. Like Brian Clough, he felt as though I think he'd been patronised by the Football Association, uh, that they pigeonholed him as, as something, uh, someone, a type of character who wasn't worthy of the blazer. And that was ultimately proved to be the FA's loss. And uh, there was a one, there's a wonderful anecdote in the film told by Des Casey, the FA uh, of Ireland secretary who initiated the call to Jack when they were in uh, Stuttgart after the game 1988. And, and Des Casey was able to say to the FA chairman um, who'd rejected Jack and said, you've made a mistake there. Uh, well, what do you think of that then? And I think um, as much as Jack always made it clear that he wanted England to win when they weren't playing Ireland. Uh, and that clearly he was a huge Englishman above all. That particular motivation, that particular um, uh, rejection from England, I think was fundamental to his managerial career with Ireland. It, it um, drove him on even further if he needed it. Well, central to Jack's great island adventure and a particular interest to our podcast was, of course, Italia 90. Uh, in his mind, I, Ireland were no longer there just for the experience. Um, he felt they could trouble anyone in the world with their brand of football. Uh, and he was proven right. Um, they stymied England again, uh, drew with European champions, the Netherlands. Uh, and Jack was genuinely disappointed by the defeat in the quarterfinal uh, against Italy in Rome. Um, we discussed this in our island episode, but I get the impression that what happened during that month in 1990 not only changed Irish soccer forever, but had a huge, profound effect on the nation as a whole, almost like a national coming-of-age experience. Did you get a sense of that from your research and, and through the people that you spoke to? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the film, you know, in the film, um, we have evidence from some of the best people you could get evidence from. Roddy Doyle, um, the Booker Prize winning author, Larry Mullen uh, of U2, who, who were rivaling Jack uh, as Irish, uh, rivaling Jack's team as Irish successes at the end of the 80s, turning into 1990. They tell you that um, that time was incredible. That World Cup saw Ireland reclaim the flag, the flag that had been associated with the Republican movement and terror uh, was taken back by the Irish support who followed the Ireland team. And that Irish support um, generated an image of what it was to be Irish that had never been seen before. Hugely proud, wonderfully charismatic, fun, uh, a nation that had everything in front of it. And the team, obviously, with their success, for, were leading that and leading the team was Jack Charlton. It was this sort of um, merging of, of so many different factors, I think, social, cultural, sporting, and even political around that tournament. And it transformed the country. Uh, and the film obviously reaches a peak at that moment. And, and it was great to hear from the likes of Larry Mullen and Roddy Doyle 
and Brendan O'Carroll, Niall Quinn, a genuine sense of what we're just talking about there. It's all right me saying it, but these guys have to say it. These guys and the archive has to prove it. And um, uh, we got those ingredients together, I think, which were able to underline just the unique nature of what was happening then. Um, the 1990 World Cup cemented the love affair between Jack and the Irish. Um, the country was brought to a standstill, both for the famous game against Romania and when the team returned home, when an estimated half a million or so lined the streets of Dublin to greet them. Uh, the scenes that we see in the film, um, they're more reminiscent of VE Day in London in 1945 than you know a team that had just been knocked out at the quarterfinal stages of a World Cup. Well, that, that just tells you what was achieved? It, it will never happen again. That um, may, maybe if Ireland if Ireland were to win the World Cup um, or the Irish rugby team were to win the World Cup, um, but it, it's highly unlikely you'll ever see scenes like that again following a sporting event associated with Ireland um, because it was it was transformational. The, the players and Jack couldn't believe it. They'd been as as um, as players were, especially in that time in 1990, in their own bubble, no internet, you know, limited limited access to television, to newspapers. Um, so they'd been tucked away in their own bubble in uh, in Italy. Clearly, they'd been getting a sense of a wonderful tone and a sense of adventure happening from the, the fans, thousands of fans that were in Rome and in Genoa. But when they flew in over Dublin. Uh, as they returned from Italy, Jack says the pilot did a loop around uh, uh, O'Connell Street. It was a clear day and all you could see were thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Every, I think half a million people had come into the Irish capital that day from all over Ireland to welcome the team home. It, it is, as you say, like a, a victory in war homecoming. It's astonishing. And uh, those pictures are so powerful. And I think that more than anything, I think, lived with Jack, that return, that lived with, that lived with him, I think, more than any of the, uh, the football matches or achievements. That, that was the, the seminal moment. After USA 94 and the subsequent failed Euro 96 qualification campaign, that, that relationship became more fractious uh, and it ended eventually with his forced resignation. Despite that, the affection remained strong throughout the last 25 to 30 years of his life, as borne out by what we witnessed on the streets of Ireland after he passed away. Um, there's, a, there's a point in the movie where I think somebody says that, uh, you know, many, many Irish people have pictures of the Pope on their mantelpiece or, you know, there's the point where he gets the, the Irish citizenship handed to him. The last people to get that were, were Nelson Mandela and Mother Teresa. It just goes to show what a truly remarkable figure he is in Ireland's modern history. It's Bobby Charlton who says in the film, Bobby, who says in the film, um, people tell me that there are a few pictures going up of our Jack now. This was in 1990 alongside the Pope and John F. Kennedy. So Bobby was proud. Bobby was never more proud of Jack during Italia 90. Uh, Jack's citizenship uh, certificate sits proudly in his hallway, uh, pride of place in his hallway, um, alongside his wife's citizenship as well, and she deserved it, my word, you know, for uh, all the um, huge support that she gave Jack. Uh, it is, it's, it's, it is, when you think about it, quite astonishing that uh, a guy who won the World Cup with England was one of just 11 men to do that. 
then took the Irish football team at that time um, when he joined, uh, when the troubles were raging, to the success that he did. And it's one of those achievements, I think, that had never really been, I think, paid due credit to. And I really hope the film is able to help do that. And I think it's one of those achievements, uh, Mark, that's just going to get stronger and stronger with time as each year passes. And I hope as well for those young Irish people, young English people, football fans around the world who don't know Jack's story, that this film is going to enable them to see how unique it is. Um, because he was really one of the only, the only one of the boys of 1966 to go on to have genuine success in management. And for that success also to, to uh, stretch beyond football is wonderful. And I think for a, a lot of people have simplified Jack and Jack's achievement, the way the team played, oversimplified it. A lot of people, I think, haven't given him due credit for the, um, the values that he showed as a man throughout his career and life. And it's been wonderful to take on the mantle of hopefully um, helping to do his legacy do due justice, whilst also, as you say, making it clear this wasn't a perfect human being. But that also is what helps make great documentary. These are complex people. These aren't simple heroes. Uh, well, the other most striking recur recurring element to the story, which you portrayed really well, is that awkward relationship between Jack and his younger brother, Bobby. It's fairly well documented that the two fell out later in life, uh, which led to a rift which was never really healed. But it comes across in the film uh, as though there was always a simmering tension and resentment between them going right the way back to their childhood. Uh, it, to me, it felt that through the clips that you've put in the film, certainly, that there was never really much warmth between them. Yeah, I, I, from the research that we did and the archive that we looked at, and uh, we, we were really keen to try and find as much original archive as we could. There's a scene in the film, uh, which I've referred to, there's a scene in the film in 1990, which has barely been seen um, because it, it didn't pop up on our ar original archive research where Bobby goes to the Ireland Hotel and meets Jack. Ireland have just beaten Romania and Ireland are at this wonderful high and Bobby and Jack share a Guinness and Bobby congratulates Jack. And it's, I think, among the most warm moments that they ever shared together, certainly in front of a camera. And I think from the research that we did and the footage that we looked at and the interviews that we did, we wanted to paint an authentic picture. Didn't want to paint a picture that suggested that everything was rosy in the garden. And talking to Pat and John Charlton and uh, what they were able to tell us about the relationship, that it that hadn't been um, that close for a long, long time. Um, authenticated a lot of what you've referred to, that it was a cold relationship. So we had to be um, uh, as authentic as we could about that in the film. And that, that, was, that was important. But equally, it was also good to find that moment where they shared, uh, where Bobby shared in Jack's achievement. And for John to be able to see that in the film, we showed it to them, I think was meant a lot. It showed what might have been possible but it also, I think, um, uh, in, in its own poignant way, underlines just um, how, how unnatural maybe moments like that were for both of them. 
They shared the same blood, but they didn't share the same personality. Jack was always considered a relatable working class hero in Ashington and the Northeast where I live. Uh, and I suspect he, he's gained something closer to saintly status in Ireland. After his death, it seemed everyone had a, a Jack Charlton story to tell. What's been the favorite one that you've come across during the making of the film? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the problem with, the, with often doing a film about somebody who's got so many apocryphal tales associated with them is that you can't often illustrate it. You, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to actually um, to show it. I mean, Jack, Jack told a great tale where um, uh, he was, he was he, 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 after the World Cup, uh, they flew back to Dublin. They had this incredible reception. Then uh, Pat and him went back to the Northeast. They picked up their holiday gear and then they flew back to the West of Ireland. So they holidayed in the West of Ireland after the World Cup. And uh, they were driving to a you know, fishing holiday home in the middle of nowhere. And um, they pulled up outside, uh, they pulled up outside a, a pub. I think the traffic lights, whatever, went to red. And uh, there was this wedding going on in the pub. And uh, sudden, suddenly somebody saw them there. They saw Jack in his car. And the whole wedding party came out of the pub and surrounded the car. And the groom, who wasn't at that point, I think, had, had a few drinks, said, Jack, great to see you. Thanks for coming. As though, as though it was sort of the most natural thing to happen, that Jack was so relatable that, well, of course he's going to turn up to my wedding. You know, Jack, Jack was that sort of guy and um, that he'd come to anybody's wedding and, of course, he'd be welcome in. But um, there, are, there are so many great stories. I'm, I'm very pleased that in the film we were able to, to get this unseen footage from 1990, uh, which has never been, um, been on screen before. After they were beaten by Italy, they go back to the team hotel they're all really low, but all the players go outside um, in the hotel garden. It's early, it's late night, and they start to have a sing-song. And the sing-song just naturally happens, and it goes on for a few hours, and this wonderful party happens. And by the time Jack leaves, the, the, the sun's coming up. But it gives you a genuine sense of the crack as it was. You know, you, there's so much talked about the crack and it was a great crack and we all had a wonderful time and, you know, we could have a drink, but also we could play hard. But it, it's proven there in those pictures and it's wonderful to see that that was genuinely what happened. So I think for a lot of fans, Irish fans in particular, fans of World Cups, the story of 1990, you're seeing this footage. This is what it was like. This is what happened. And um, so I think... In terms of a tale, that's a true tale. So it was lovely to see that and bring it to life. If you can, and in the form of one of Jack's brief handwritten notes, can you sum up Jack Charlton? Be a dictator, but be a nice one. <laughs> Perfect. Couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. Gabriel, thanks you so much uh, for coming on the podcast and for, for chatting about the film. Good luck with it. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure. All the best to you. Finding Jack Charlton is out on DVD and digital download from Monday the 23rd of November and could be found on Amazon, so go and search for it there. We'll also put the links to buy up on our Twitter and Instagram accounts at VinciR90, so you can follow that if it helps. I've been lucky enough to have seen the film already and I thoroughly recommend it. 
not only for the nostalgic elements, but also to appreciate what he meant and still means to people in Ireland, but also for the fascination which emanates from his relationship with brother Bobby. It was sad to see how dementia had robbed Jack of most of his memories as his life came towards its conclusion, but it was also comforting to see that he was surrounded by his wife Pat and the rest of his family, and that there were times when he could crack a few of those familiar cheeky grins. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, uh, and please do enjoy finding Jack Charlton, and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon on Ventura, the story of Italia 90. Ta-da!